Well, we are, as I said, we're in part four of a four-part series. The name of it is, Oh, Thank God. And some of you may be thinking now, Oh, part four, it's almost over. Oh, thank God, it's almost over. But I have really personally enjoyed this series. I, I It has been good for me. I hope that it has been encouraging for you as well. So we started out this series by saying this, a big broad statement. We said, did you know there's a God? And well, obviously, no, seriously, we really said that there is a God. And that's good to know, right? It's good to know that there is a God. But since there is a God, that's what this series has all been about. Well, what about that God? In week one, we began talking about if there is a God, then for a multitude of reasons, we can know that. Then since we know there is one, the next logical question is to try to understand, well, what is God like? What is he like? And there are all kinds of ideas out there about what God is like. Uh, we might say, well, I think God is kind. And someone else might have an opinion to say, well, I think God is mean. One might say, I think God is close and caring. Another one might say, I think he is distant and aloof, maybe cold, right? We have all kinds of ideas. But for every one of those statements that begin with, well, I think we are relying upon our own understanding, what we've been told, uh, what our culture tells us, what we have experienced, we, we're relying upon our understanding. But let's face it, if that is the standard by which we, we say, here's how I can know God, if that's the standard for understanding God, well, that standard then is a constantly moving target. And it's changed by my mood, uh, what I think, uh, what I think about God is changed by my circumstances, and it's also changed by the culture that I'm in. And here's another thing. Understanding more about this God, it is especially difficult because, well, he's God, and I'm not, obviously. It, it's just really hard for me to wrap my mind around that big concept, that big thought of God. And for many of us, well, what we don't understand, we begin to deconstruct. Um, we try to take the things we don't understand and we try to make them into something, well, that we can understand. And honestly, that can be a good thing. So it's not a bad thing. It can be a good thing when we begin removing some of the things that we just kind of picked up along the way about God that are not true. And it's also good when we're kind of deconstructing and letting go of some of the false assumptions that we were told or that we were taught about God. Then that letting go of those things can be a good thing, too. But often what we deconstruct in an effort for us to understand better, we then begin to rebuild a new concept of something we can understand about God. We rebuild it into something that we can approve of about God. We have a tendency to deconstruct so that we can then simply, what Cole and I have been calling, we can then me-construct my own personal God, my own personal views of God, and therefore my own personal little God. And that's really no, no better than me asking a first grader what she thinks God is like, or m no better than me asking a seven-year-old to build me your idea of a God using Legos. It's really no different than that. So 
what do we do then? Where do we go? Is there anywhere that I can go to understand more about who God is, about what he is, what is he like, what does God like, what is his character? So after deconstruction, is there any way that I can really begin to reconstruct my understanding of what God is like based upon what God tells us about himself? instead of me constructing a God out of my own opinion. Now, you, you know the answer to that, right? You probably wouldn't be here otherwise. Because we have been saying, we can know. We can, as Paul prayed for us and we talked about, we can have a knowledge of what God tells us about himself. And we do that by looking at the 66 books that were written over the course of 1,500 years by over 40 hand-chosen authors, hand-chosen by God, who seamlessly tell the story of God's interaction with his creation and with his humanity that he created. And so, yes, we can know. Now, it's not what I think. It's not what you think, not what our culture thinks, not even what grandma thinks. We can know what God tells us about himself. And in this series, we have discovered several things. Let me recap those very quickly. I'm going to roll through this fast. We have discovered that this, that God has always been. He doesn't need us, but he certainly wants us. That's awesome. He and and um, we also discovered this that even though God transcends man, that means He is beyond creation. He wants to be involved in His creation, and actually, He wants more than involvement. He wants a relationship with each of us. Now, again, even though He doesn't need it, He wants it, and we learn this that if we seek Him, we will find him. That is good news. And what we find when we seek God, one of the things is that he is infinite and that God is eternal. And as the psalmist describes and wrote, he is from everlasting to everlasting. Wow. An infinite God who we are not going to surprise or we're not going to shock. And if we dive into these scriptures that he provided us, where he tells us about himself, what we also find out is that God doesn't change, right? God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and he is the same forever. In fact, God cannot change because that would mean that God can learn. And that's the way we change, right? So we think, okay, so we learn something and we grow and we mature and we change, but not God. He doesn't change because he has absolutely nothing to learn. God does not look back at his past and he doesn't say, oh man, I wish I would have handled that differently. No, God doesn't do that. Uh, He doesn't say, oh, I'll do better next time. No, no, no. It's perfect for God every single time. God doesn't change. He doesn't need to. Now that's really a good, good thing because if he could change, I'm pretty sure that he would change his mind about us. At least for sure, he would change his mind about me. Now, the one and only God of creation 
wants a relationship with me. And here's good news. And that, the fact that he wants a relationship with me, that's not going to change. That's amazing. I love that. So God, who is in total control, who is sovereign, whose thoughts, according to Isaiah, are beyond my thoughts, and his ways are beyond my ways, that God wants a relationship with me. He wants a relationship with you. And it is incomprehensible because that's another thing. He is incomprehensible. The Bible says his riches, uh, his wisdom and knowledge are far beyond anything that I can ultimately understand. So think about it. This God of creation who is uh, all of these things and more, he wants a relationship with you, even though he doesn't need a relationship with you. Now, does that motivate you even just a little bit? I mean, does it motivate you to want to understand him more? Does it motivate you uh, to, to want to get to know him more? And what Paul tells us about him, what he prayed for, according to uh, the letter that he wrote to the church in Ephesus, I'm going to pull that up on the screen. And while they do, uh, you're going to watch a little magic here over here on this side of the stage. They probably won't get to see this online. So I'll just talk to our online family for a moment. I'm doing magic right now. Nobody can see it. There you go. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> if that didn't bother you, it was bother. It was going to bother me uh, eventually. So I just had to pull out the magic stick, and we took care of that. Now back to the scripture. The more important thing. So Ephesians chapter one. Here's what Paul prayed for us, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what he prayed to give you spiritual wisdom and insight, so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. He said, "I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light, so that you can." understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. That's what Paul prayed for the churches he helped start. And that's what Paul prays for us. And I love that. Does that motivate you to get to know this God more? I hope it does. And I just have to believe that because you came here today, there's something in you too that motivates you to get to know this God more like it does me. And I am super glad about that. But the problem for many of us when it comes to trying to understand God is that he is infinite and we are finite. We really are. You and I have an end. We have a limit. We are constrained by boundaries, constrained by the very boundaries that God put in place at creation. Boundaries that he uh, used and set up, but he is not constrained by those. He created them, but they don't apply to him. Because God is infinite. He's beyond that. He's infinitely, infinitely large, countlessly great. That is our God. And truthfully, even us simply trying to describe that about God is impossible for us to experience and to describe because we're, we're subject to spiritual laws, but we're also subject as humans to all of the physical laws as well. And because of that, we have a hard time of grasping God. You see, everything that we understand in this life has uh, an element that is wrapped around the physical laws of our universe. 
Everything we understand and experience and try to explain in life deals somewhere in the realm of time, space, and motion. And there are physical laws that we just experience and that that shapes our views and our understanding. Those very things that God put into place at creation, we know them, and it's the only thing that we have to draw upon for our understanding of the world around us. So those things, those physical laws serve as this backdrop behind every thought that we have, that we can possibly have as a human. So even when we try to explain God, all we have to draw from are those physical laws that we experience, because that's all we know. But God is not bound by any of those physical laws that he created. The way that you and I interact with time and our limitations regarding that, God doesn't have any of those limitations, none at all with his interaction with time. And we really just can't understand that. We are bound by the law of gravity. We just are. God is not. We have the laws of motion, the laws of thermodynamics, the laws of quantum mechanics. All of these things we are bound by, all of these things serve as a backdrop for our existence on this planet and in this universe, but God is not bound by any of those. And because of that, it is difficult for us to conceive what God is actually like because he has none of those limitations and we just can't understand life beyond those limitations. For instance, I can only be in this spot right here, right now, at this moment in time. So I'm bound here into this physical spot and in this moment of time. I can't be here and also at the same time be in Malvern where Cole is today. I can't be in both places at the same time. I can't even really imagine what that would be like to be fully present in both places at the same time. I can't even imagine that. Being able to interact here and being able to interact there at the same time personally with me, I just can't. I can't. My mind can't do that. I can't even imagine what it would be like. So sure, we talk to our kids about things. We say that they'll say like, hey, daddy, what's your superpower? And after all, that's what we call it, right? A superpower. Because we have no idea what it would really be like. So the kids say, what would your superpower be if you could have a superpower? And, uh, you know, who hasn't said at one point or another or uh, thought about, uh, I would like to have the ability to be in two places, maybe three places at the same time. Or maybe you've said something like, I would like to be able to teleport to just instantly be there when you think about having to go on those long trips on the holidays, right? I would like to just be there to teleport, right? That's awesome. It would be awesome to have that ability, but I can't, and I know I can't, and so that's why we call it a superpower. It's why we watch those movies where people can do those things, because it would be so awesome to consider maybe what would it be like if we could, and we know that we can't. We just can't do it. We are stuck in one place at one time, always, right here. This side of heaven, that's the way it is. It's the way it's going to be. God is not bound, and he is not limited to the physical space or to being in one spot at one time. And the word for that is God is omnipresent. That's the word for that. It means he is everywhere. 
God is perfection and he transcends all of space. That means he is beyond all spatial limitations. That means he is infinite with respect to space. His whole being fills every part of the universe. And listen to how God tells us about that quality. He tells us himself through the old covenant prophet, Jeremiah. Here's what he says. Jeremiah 23. Am I a God who is only close at hand? Says the Lord. No, 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 no. I am far away at the same time. He says, can anyone hide from me in a secret place? He says, I am, uh, I, am I not everywhere in all the heavens and the earth, says the Lord. That means that he is present everywhere, all the time. Now, this is amazing. It means that God is always near, always. But God is not like this Kool-Aid. <laughs> Stick with me for just a moment. Work with me. Here we go. If I could take this bottle of uh, Kool-Aid, um, if I could take this and, you, you know, it's nice and it's red and it's super sweet and it's this dark, deep color of red, very pretty. I like it. It makes me want to drink it right now, but I can't because I need it for this illustration. I love this. If we could take this and imagine that we could um, keep adding more clear water to this to the point, there's not much left here. So to the point that it overflowed into uh, the theater and it filled the theater like an aquarium all the way up. We kept adding water, adding water, adding water, and it filled all the way up to the ceiling, the floor, the ceiling, wall to wall, and it's filled. Okay, so now we have another scenario. We added so much water that this bottle of Kool-Aid has been now diluted, right? In fact, there's so much water that it would no longer be red at all, right? You could not see even a hint of red. It's so diluted. And it would taste nasty. Have you had diluted Kool-Aid and it's like it doesn't have enough sweetener in it? And you're like, whoa, that's disgusting. I wish I had not done that. And it would be so diluted, there would be no taste. There would be no color. It would be completely diluted. But see, God not only fills this building, God fills it wall to wall, ceiling, floor to ceiling, but God also fills every part of the universe completely. Unlike Kool-Aid, God, as much as he fills everything around us, he is not diffused watered down, or diluted in any way throughout this universe. Think about this. I love this concept, this truth. God is present at each point in the universe. He is present at each point in his complete fullness at every point. And when we say God is near, 
He's not just close. He is face to face. Every step you take, he's face to face, not diluted down in his fullness. God is present everywhere. That's the big thing. He's present everywhere. Now, he has to be, or else that means that Jesus lied to us. Now, we know that can happen because since Jesus is God with a bod, he cannot lie. He's God. So consider this final thing that Jesus had to say to his followers before Jesus left the earth. Listen to what he is saying to them. He's on the Mount of Olives, and here's what Jesus said. He said, he gave them some other commands. He said, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, which by the way, to summarize that, it's basically Jesus is saying, I want you to teach them to love and treat everybody the way I would, okay? And then he said this, and be sure of this. So this is um, to say, listen, so if you're worried, the fact that I'm getting ready to go away, if you're worried, if you're concerned, I I want you to know this. He's getting ready to say, I, who's Jesus, he's God. I am with you always, even to the end of, of the age. And short of the omnipresence of God, that would be impossible for Jesus to be with us always. But God is omnipresent. God's full presence fills the universe. And not only his full presence fills everywhere, filling the universe, but the universe is not big enough to contain God. He fills whatever is beyond the universe. Because remember, God created the universe. The universe cannot contain God. Isaiah describes this. God does through Isaiah. He says, my hands have made both the heaven and the earth, God says, and everything in them are mine. In other words, God's hands made the universe, and that means God exists outside of the universe he created because his hands could hold it. His hands made it. Wow, that's huge. So God is omnipresent everywhere in his full state of being God, in his fullness everywhere. So what does that mean for us? This is a big one. Hold on to your theater chair. What does that mean for us? I'm sorry to say there is no privacy, (laughs) none at all. Anytime we're alone, we're not alone. Anytime we're by ourselves on the internet, we're not alone. We are not by ourselves anywhere, ever, ever, period. God is with each one of us everywhere and always completely aware and in his fullness. You never catch God sleeping. You don't catch him blinking. You don't catch him looking the other way. And just as Jesus says to, said to his followers, and the psalmist echoes, listen to this, Psalm 139. Psalmist says, I can never escape from your spirit. 
He says, I can't get away from your presence. He doesn't want to. He said, I can't get away from your presence. It's a good thing. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the furthest oceans, and even there, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. So God is there in all those places, and he's here at this very moment. That's for always, everywhere you are. The only thing he does, not only does he not see, not only does he see it all, he desires, he desires to be with you through it all. Since I butchered that, let me say it again. Not only does he see everything you're going through, and experiencing, and he sees it up close, face to face, not only does he see it, he desires to be with you through everything. Pause for just a moment and think about that. Does that not make your heart say, oh, thank God. We also know this about God because he lets us know. God is morally perfect. Absolutely. God's moral nature is perfectly unified. Now I'm going to go through these things really quick, really fast, okay? I just these parts of God's moral nature. We have verses for these listed in the listening guide for you. So I'm just going to roll through these. His moral nature, we understand from God's word, his moral nature is just. God is morally perfect, and that requires him to show displeasure anytime anything seeks uh, to act contrary to their moral purpose that God has given them. Which means then that God is going to judge everything that rebels against his authority as creator and as Lord. That's a big statement. But all that to say, God is morally just always. The next thing we learn about God's moral nature is God's moral nature is good. God is morally excellent and he only does good. All right. We also know this from God's word. His uh, moral nature is holy. Absolutely. God is morally transcendent, which means uh, he is utterly separated from anything that is evil. And he is perfectly pure. He's holy. We also learn this from scripture. His moral nature is true. God is perfectly truthful. He cannot lie. We also learn this, his moral nature is, this is the zinger for me, is loving. His moral nature is loving. God's moral character is pure love, sacrificial giving. That's the kind of love. And it's always for the true benefit of another. Isn't that amazing? Now, this is so important. As we think about this, because with his perfectly moral nature, there is no conflict for God between his justice and his mercy. No conflict. 
this is bigger, bigger statement. There is no conflict between his wrath and his love. See, we can't understand that because for you and me, that's not the case. There's sometimes, if we're honest, there's conflict between my wrath and my love for my children. And when I was a youth minister, same thing. As a pastor, same thing. There's a conflict between my wrath and my love. I have had to make so many phone calls in my life going back to my past with my children and with other people where I have had to say, I am so sorry. Because there was a conflict between my wrath, which I had, and my love, which I didn't. We can't understand that about God, how it is perfectly in state and accurate all the time. And there's a conflict for us. There's no conflict between God and his justice and mercy, grace and truth. No, no, no. There is for us, but there's not for God. No conflict at all in his moral nature. And for us, that's a hard pill to swallow. Think with me for a moment. If you're anything like me, have you ever said, it just doesn't seem fair, God. This whole salvation thing. So this whole thing about we can only reconnect to God through Jesus and the work of Jesus, the son, because of what he did on the cross. And so the way I look at that, God, it just doesn't seem fair, because what about those people um, who've never heard about Jesus? What about those people in the deepest, darkest part of the jungle who have not heard? It doesn't seem fair, God. Remember, there's no conflict between God's justice and God's love. Listen to this. We ask those questions. You probably have too. But let me give you a bit of God's wisdom. And maybe this will calm your heart about things like that. Proverbs chapter 8. This is God's wisdom. Here it goes. I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently will find me. God's wisdom says that. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. I want you to know this. God has it under control. Now, we said this earlier in the series. God tells us if we truly seek God, we will find God. Not our self-created God, not the God we think he should be. If we seek God, the true God, we will find him. It seems that God has a part in this equation. When we say, it's just not fair, I don't understand God, we're discounting the fact that God has a part to play. All we have to do is show some diligence, maybe some humility, maybe some honesty in our seeking God, and he will make sure we find him. Wow. There is no conflict between God's justice and God's love. Oh, I love that. What does all this mean for us? God is perfectly just, good, holy, true, and loving. And that means great. We can trust God completely, implicitly, without fail, without question, without concern. We can trust God. We might not be able to trust others. We may not even be able to trust ourselves, but we can always trust God, the all-powerful creator. 
And that's another attribute that God tells us about himself. He's all-powerful. The big word for that is omnipotent. God is omnipotent. It means he is all-powerful. That means all things are possible to God. During his time here on earth, Jesus, um, who is God, had a famous conversation with a wealthy young leader, we're told. And this leader asked Jesus, well, what will it take for me to get to earn to have eternal life? And after a brief conversation, um, the man went away and we're told he went away sad, but he went away. And the disciples, they were listening to this and they were shocked because of the answer that Jesus gave. So when he said, who's going to get to heaven? The way Jesus answered it made, made it sound like, well, no, then none of us are going to get there, right? which was the point. And then listen to how Jesus answered that and calmed that fear when they asked, so who can be saved, they asked. And here's what happened. Jesus said in Matthew 19, Jesus looked at them intently and said, well, humanly speaking, it is impossible. In other words, you can't. But then he says, but with God, everything is possible. And to that, I just want to say nothing is too difficult for God because God is all-powerful. Now, listen very closely. What does that mean for us, that God is all-powerful? It means that no matter how crazy our world gets, and it's going to get crazier, no matter how crazy our world leaders might act, and it's going to get worse, no matter what the courts rule, what the judges say, it doesn't matter. No matter what viruses are in our future, doesn't matter. No matter what war, no matter what chaos we are living in, none of that has overpowered God. None of it can happen without God. This is big without God allowing it, because he is all-powerful. And none of that surprised God. None of it. And as followers of Jesus, it means something pretty amazing to us. Something that cannot be understood outside of that relationship that God wants with us. It means this, that we can be at peace knowing that God, he rules over everything. And if in God's omnipotence, he has allowed something into your life, because of his omnipresence, he will walk you through that. Or else, with his power, he will deliver you into the perfect presence of Jesus Christ. And to that, I say, oh, thank God. God tells us so much more about himself. He does that through scripture that he provided for us. But you know what? We've got to end this series somewhere. We can't keep this series going. We've got to end it somewhere. So we're going to end it with this next point. So we know this about God because of what he's told us in his scripture. We know this. God is omniscient, which means he knows everything. God is described throughout all of his scripture as him knowing, having infinite awareness about everything, infinite understanding, infinite insight. 
There are so many verses that we could use to describe this, but this morning I've selected a zinger. It's my bazinga verse. (laughs) I love this. You have heard this verse possibly, and it's been referred to in talking about God's scripture, okay? God's scripture. And the truth is that scripture is only powerful because it comes from God. God, okay? Listen to this verse that you've probably heard before and heard it used applied to scripture. Here it is, Hebrews chapter four. For the word of God, good reason you were applying this to scripture. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. But I want you to know this. This verse is describing more than scripture, more than mere words. He says, and it is piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We've always applied that to scripture, right? But notice the next word is and, which means there's more. We're not finished talking about this specific topic yet. And so there is more to this word than we've previously thought. And There is no creature hidden from his sight. Whose sight? His. His being scripture? No. His. His being Jesus. This is talking about Jesus more than scripture. It's talking about his sight, the sight of Jesus, what he sees. Remember what God tells us in the beginning of the gospel biography of John. In the beginning was the what? Word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And what happened next? He says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And here we have in the book of Hebrews saying, oh, yes, and by the way, for that word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit, both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and there is no creature hidden from his sight. And it goes on. But all things, now this is talking about the omniscience of God, the all-knowing God, Jesus, who is God with a bod, Jesus. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Scripture. No, Him, Jesus, with whom we have to do. Now, that's a weird phrase. I was going to use another translation to help you understand that. Here's what that means. With, what's, with whom we have to do means this. It means with whom we are accountable, with whom, Jesus, we have to give an account for everything we think, we say, everything we do. We give an account to him, Jesus, not a book. We give an account to Jesus because he knows all. He has all facts. He knows all actions. He knows all thoughts. He knows all intentions. 
of our hearts. God is perfect, and he knows all things, including the events that have not yet happened to us. God already knows. He has perfect knowledge and perfect in his knowledge of what goes on inside of our hearts. What does this mean for us? It means we cannot surprise God. And I am so glad that we can't surprise him. God already knows my actions, even though I haven't acted upon them yet. God knows the thoughts I'm going to have tomorrow, even though I haven't thought them yet. And still, God knowing all of the stupid and sinful stuff that is in my future, still God wants and desires me to have a relationship with him. Oh, thank God that he knows me more than I know myself and the junk that's to come, and he still wants me to have a relationship with him. God, he has not finished revealing who he is. These are just some things. We just scratched the surface. There's more in God's word. But even with all of God's word, it still doesn't contain all of who God is. Wow. We can discover more and more and more every single day how he has engineered and designed this universe and this creation. We're arriving at, at new and more exciting discoveries every single day as we walk in the footsteps of our perfectly just and holy and amazing creating God. We're just learning more and more. Science is learning more and more and more and more about this creation. None of that is a surprise or a shock to God. He did it. Wow. I hope as we're ending this series that you can say in your heart, oh, thank God. If God knows your future sins and the worst parts of you that may be yet to come, and if God knows that and still calls you to submit to him and to follow him, then I have a question for you. What is your answer? Jesus died for you knowing your worst was yet to come. And he paid a price for you with his death Followed up with his resurrection, he paid a price so that you could have a relationship with him. And I have this question for you right now. If God's spirit is calling you right now and saying, submit your life to God, then I beg you to answer him right now in your heart. He's listening. Answer him with a God. Yes. Yes. Oh, thank God that you want me, that you're calling me. Yes. Yes. And I beg you, would you let us know on your connection card? 
If this very moment you are saying yes to God, yes, God, I'm making you the boss of my life. By saying that, it means I'm submitting my life to you. You bought my life. You paid for it with your death on the cross. And since you bought my life, God, I'm giving it. I'm submitting it to you. You have my life. I'm going to follow you. I'm yours. If that's what you're saying, yes to. You're the boss of my life. You can have my life. I am yours. Yes, God. Yes. Would you let us know on the back of your connection card? Because we have some information we want to send you via email, a text that'll have a hot link to send you to a web page that we have created information for you to help you get a start of submitting to following Jesus. We want to give that to you. Will you let us know on your connection card? He paid a price for you. And if the Spirit of God is calling you, will you answer him with yes? Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you just now submitted your life to Jesus, you are now a follower of Jesus. If you came into this room today already a follower of Jesus, then I want you to know this. Paul prayed for you that very specific prayer, and he prayed it for me. He's asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight, and here's, so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. And then he prayed this, I also pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy, and here's what he called them, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. What does this mean for you if you're a Christ follower, right? What does it mean? It means this, please, will you get to know him? Because there is more but we had to stop this series somewhere. Will you please continue to get to know him with what he has told us about himself? If all of this is true that we've talked about, that God has provided for us in scripture and what we call the Bible, then it is worth exploring. It is worth knowing. It is worth trusting. There is more to discover. So how, how do we discover this God of the Bible? We have to show an effort. We have to show desire. Uh, we have to ask, is this even interesting to you? And if so, we ask you this, will you apply some effort to get to know God more? On his terms, by the way, he describes himself, not what we think, not what culture says, by his descriptions. You see, we spend a huge amount of our times every single day in investigating and, and, and being involved in things of really no, no benefit at all. I mean, video games and social media and YouTube and TikTok and Reels, all the, you know, we give them such great attention in our lives. We devote hours to that. To gain what? And I hope this series opens up an opportunity for you and me to investigate and explore the most fantastic being in the universe. And I promise you this. It will become the most fantastic experience 
of our finite lives and what our finite minds can imagine. Let's pray. God, I pray that we have a desire to know you more. God, I, I just pray that we will get close to you. We know you're not far from us. You are near in your full presence. Every bit of you that makes you God is with us right now, heart to heart, face to face, everywhere we go. And may our prayer be this, that God, if no one else chooses to, oh God, at least help me know that you are more than I can imagine. Help me know you more. Help me submit to you more. May that be our prayer. Oh, thank God for wanting me. Oh, thank God for wanting us. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray these things. Amen.